In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the OGGN HSE podcast sponsored by Anderson Hauser, a global leader in process automation and measurement instrumentation. Anderson Hauser, the people for process automation. Today's podcast really is international in scope, more than just the British voiceover and my southern accent. I have on the line, actually on my laptop through Zencaster, I have Rachel Spoonley, who is in London, England. Is that right, Rachel? Well, I'm in England, Russell, but not really in London. I'm in the northwest of England, near Liverpool and Manchester, for those who know those good football teams. Yeah, those are very, very popular football teams. And so, you know, when I think of England, unfortunately, you know, the only town I know is London. So I just, London and England just seem seem to go together for me. How far is where you are from London? Oh, couple hundred miles. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Actually, it's maybe slightly less than that. It's probably on a good day if the roads are quiet. It's probably a four-hour drive to London from here. So the name of your company is ABB. Yeah, that's right. And your offices are actually in, is it Warrington? Yeah, we have ABB. We're sort of headquartered in Switzerland, but we have offices all around the world. We've got a number of offices in the UK, but the consulting business, which is the part of the business I work for, we have offices just outside Warrington, yeah, in the northwest. Okay. But you're not at your office right now, right? No, no, unfortunately not. Like a lot of people, I'm working from home. So is that in Warrington or close by? Or? Yeah, I'm about half an hour's drive from the office towards Chester. Okay. You know this part of the world. All right. So if you go to ABB's website, which we'll put that in the show notes, but the homepage comes up and says digital solutions that create real value for your business. And then there's a link that says find out more. So tell us a little bit more. Okay, well, ABB is sort of various digital offerings and we, you know, from sort of bespoke software that we help with our clients and through to really trying to move all the control system type products that we have and moving those forward to the next level. So there is a huge amount of offering out there associated with the products that ABB provide. I'm not an expert on those products. My side is on the consultancy and what we can do on the consultancy side to develop you know, more on the digital side and moving that forward. So are we talking about what's now called AI? or There is an element of this. We're using virtual with developing something with virtual reality headsets where we can use VR headsets to virtually visit plants, particularly obviously in the moment where at the moment where it's difficult for people to do that. So it could be used for inspection purposes or troubleshooting, or if we have a service contract and we've got a breakdown, we can go and do an initial look at that piece of equipment first and then that makes sure that when we when we turn up on site we're turning up with the right parts to do that repair. And all of these processes and automation and all that sort of thing, it, it has a tremendous bearing on health and safety and even probably environmental factors, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I think the fact there's a big, obviously a big efficiency improvement by using those technologies, but by being able to collate data from operating plants and in real time and to be able to use that data 
obviously has the ability then obviously to have a big safety health and environmental improvement. But the real reason that I wanted to talk to you today, you're obviously at home. Your office isn't open. You're over in England. I'm at home. Houston would be the town that I would reference that most people would recognize in Texas. My home is actually in a, a little town that's about Oh, 50 miles north and a little west of Houston on what's called Lake Conroe. And I'm at home because of the coronavirus, the COVID-19 and all that sort of thing. And so your company has, I guess, done something rather unique or they've adapted in a way to respond and to still help companies in this situation that we're in. Tell us about that. Yeah, so in my line of work, I'm a chemical engineer by background and I work as a safety consultant. So I spend the bulk of my time leading risk assessments for, for other companies. So in the oil and gas sector and the chemical sector in the UK and around the world. And we've always traditionally done these risk assessments, HAZOPs, process added reviews, PHAs, maybe more familiar with in the States or SIL assessments, LOPA studies, we've done all of these face-to-face. There's a strong sort of belief in the industry that those are team studies, that you have to have a team in a room focused on the study, and that's how you get a good output from that study and make sure that you've identified all the hazards that you should. So when we were sort of going into lockdown and we could see this happening, and until the first week of the lockdown, I was supposed to be travelling down to Cambridge to do a three-day study for one of our clients. And it was very reluctantly postponed at the last minute because they've got this big project on, which they wish to continue to make progress on. So we said, really, because we had to, because we had no choice, we said, right, we're going to have to try and do this study using video conferencing facilities, you know, from all of our homes. So that was the starting point, really. So we set it up. We used Microsoft Teams for that particular review. I've used other bits of other sort of video conferencing software since. And I think we were all quite pleasantly surprised as to how well it went. So, yeah, that's the sort of main thing, really, that I wanted to share with you today. So tell us a little bit more about what all goes into this sort of risk assessment that you do, because I'm trying to wrap my arms around things that I would think that you needed to see physically to do your risk assessment and how you can do that, you know, online. Yeah, remotely. Absolutely. Well, this particular one that we were doing was for a project. So there wasn't a a physical asset outside the door for us to go and look at like there are in some cases. And I'll maybe come back to that. But this, in order to do these risk assessments, these hazard studies, what we're doing is a line by line study of the proposed plan, seeing what could go wrong and assessing what the hazards are and whether the measures that have been included in the in the project plan are adequate. So traditionally, when we're doing it face to face, we'd all be sat around a table in a room. We have somebody, we have a technical scribe recording the study on a laptop that's projected on a screen at the end of the room so that everybody or the team can see what's being recorded. We all sit there typically with laptops in front of us, but surrounded by paper. So surrounded by P&ID drawings on paper and other reference documents. So this was one of the things that when we went to doing online meetings, it was how do we actually manage to do that? What we 
found that works is that if you have access at home to two screens, then you can view a lot of these documents on a second screen and still be able to see on your main screen what the scribe is recording. So it's almost like your main screen becomes what would normally be projected up on the wall or on the television at the end of the conference room, and you've got access to these other documents on the screen. And the video conferencing facilities mean that as the leader and then for all the all the sort of team members on little tiles, effectively, on your computer screen, you can see the video feed from everybody. So in terms of facilitating the meeting and running the meeting, you can see when somebody wants to speak. You can see when somebody's getting annoyed about something or, you know, whether they disagree about something that somebody else is saying. And that it doesn't completely replace the body language, the communication that you have when you're face to face in a meeting room, but we can get it to work. So you say you can tell when somebody is annoyed. How do you do that? Well, you can tell, you can tell, you know, you can see them on the video feed. So you do pick up some body language. You do, you do. I think the main, I was going to say the disadvantage or or the thing that I think sort of surprised most of us when we first started doing it is how tiring it is. And I think it's because the levels of concentration that you have to have are sort of staring at the screen all the time and making sure that everybody's managed to contribute to the meeting. It is a lot more tiring. So we found that just taking regular breaks, quite sort of short breaks, but regular breaks, you know, did alleviate that somewhat. Of course, you talk about it being a little more tiring. Everybody who's listening to this right now, I suppose, is working for home or even if they're back at their office by the time they listen to this they've been working from home for I'm losing track of time now but it's <laughs> it's been a been a few weeks one of the things that I've talked to several people my wife included in fact when I tell you you know when I think of England I think of London you know she's she's actually the only successful one in the family and so she's an international insurance broker so she goes to London to meet with Lloyd underwriters she actually is working harder now from home than she did when she was going to the office and a couple of reasons for that is one is she's not having to spend the commuting time to go to the office and the other thing is is she goes inside the office she shuts her door and nobody interrupts her like they used to do at the office. Yeah, I think there is that. And we in the UK, I don't know, obviously the, the lockdown restrictions are, are different in different parts of the world. But we've always been very much encouraged in the UK to go out and get our daily exercise. So I've rigidly been doing that. But you're right, your commuting time, my commuting time's not great. Normally it's about half an hour in the morning and night. is different. So there are, there are sort of key advantages to working from home. What we found with doing these remote studies, though, is there are some disadvantages and some distractions. So I'm hoping that you didn't hear on that last bit of the call, Russell, when you were just talking then. My cat coming in through the cat flap, so you didn't hear that sort of background noise. So we've had various interruptions from pets and from children, because, of course, children and preschool children have not been able to go to nursery here in the UK. So for some people on the team, that has been quite difficult when they're trying to work from home and they've got those interruptions as well. But again, as I said, with the, with the video feed, you know, you can be mindful of that and you can see when those, those interruptions, you know, when somebody needs a break because they <laughs> need to go and deal with the kids. You actually brought up a very good point that I guess I didn't think about and I should have because I have grandchildren and 
my son and my daughter and their spouses who are working from home, that's exactly one of the biggest issues they have is they have the small children and trying to balance all that, that is definitely a disadvantage. Absolutely. And you've got, you know, a lot of people where you've got both parents working, you know, and children off school at the same time. So So you were scheduled to do this risk assessment. You were scheduled to go do the risk assessment. Then the pandemic happens and all the stay-at-home orders and social distancing and and all that sort of thing. So that's when you figured out how to do it virtually. Yeah, absolutely. Then, you know, we achieved in the week that, you know, I should have traveled to Cambridgeshire. You know, we achieved what we wanted to do remotely. And, you know, you were talking about commuting time to the normal office. Cambridgeshire, it would take me at least three hours to get there. So, you know, there's clearly an efficiency benefit and a cost saving to our clients. You know, we don't actually have to travel to site. I do think when this is all over and when we can go a little bit back more back to normal, whatever normal looks like, and we can travel again, I think we will want to go back to doing some of these studies face to face. But I think this has really opened our eyes to the fact that we can successfully deliver them remotely. So the need for travel, you know, is potentially not as great. Or if you run out of time to finish a study, the idea of then finishing it off remotely, you know, obviously once you've met the team sort of face-to-face, you know, it becomes much more likely, I think. Well, talking about the commuting and all of that, there's actually a cost savings involved here, isn't there? There is, there is. So what we've what we found with these remote studies is that, and it's very hard to judge because it's still early days and, you know, unless you, unless you do the study twice, you don't, you know, do it face-to-face and do it remotely. You don't know you know, exactly how much longer it would have taken, you know, it takes doing it remotely. I think there is an acceptance that it does take longer doing it remotely. You maybe need more regular breaks and you have to be a bit more mindful to make sure that everybody's had a chance to speak. So there's maybe some minor efficiency losses there. That They are fairly minor and we're estimating that these studies maybe take 10 or 20% longer. But then if you take out, you know, if you take out travel time, then that's, you know, that's probably, you know, balanced out those inefficiencies and giving you a cost saving. So going back to what you said a while ago, when this is all said and done, this COVID-19 stuff, where do you think you're going to be? I mean, how much is this really going to revolutionize or change what we've done for years and years and years? I think in terms of running risk assessments, I think it'll change it a bit, but maybe not majorly I do think there'll be a desire to go back to -to face-to-face meetings I talked you know in the example that I shared with you Russell I talked about it being a project we do a lot of studies for existing assets and it's very hard to replace and being able to actually physically go and see you know going to see the plant so you know mindful of what I said at the beginning about this technology that we've got with the VR headset But another area where I think things might be a more permanent change as a result of the coronavirus is one of my colleagues has been doing factory acceptance tests for rolling out control systems. And they were at the sort of latter stages of a project to do that. Traditionally, everybody would assemble at the factory to do the final sign off. And they did it remotely. And he's of the opinion that we're never going to go back to everybody getting in one place that, you know, we have proved that you can do it remotely. So, you know, why would you go back? So I think there will be permanent changes. I think the other area where we might see a permanent change is the other thing 
that we've been doing as consultants or safety consultants and in other areas in our consultancy business is we deliver technical training. And I delivered a technical training course on Tuesday, actually, for one day. And again, we would normally do that face to face in a classroom, in a conference room, have the benefit of everybody getting together and sharing that learning, doing syndicate exercises together. And we delivered it as a webinar, was able to get people to contribute to the course. So hopefully they got a good learning experience. So and I think on things like training where people need to travel significant distances or if we're offering to do some training in the States or on the other side of the world where the travel costs and the travel time become quite prohibitive, that that is, again, is an opportunity for us to say, look, we can deliver this training and it, you know, be a quality training output over the internet. Well, I actually know a company and they're not oil and gas related, but they're in Chicago and they're a very sales intensive organization. And so they have this extensive training for their salesmen and it's a one week grind, you know, Monday through Friday. So they, they bring people in from all over the United States and Canada into Chicago, put them all up in a hotel room starting on Sunday night, you know, through Friday, fly them in, fly them out. And even before this COVID-19 crisis, they had already started doing what you're talking about right there, the webinars, and they found it to be just as effective. And of course, you know, it, it saved a ton of money and a ton of time on everybody's part, cutting out all that travel and hotel. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, well, over the next few years, things were going to change anyway with environmental concerns and how that's going to shape what we do. And I do think that this crisis has sort of opened our eyes to things that we thought were too difficult or couldn't be done, but we can do them. You know, that's an interesting point. And I, I guess that brings the old adage of necessity is the mother of invention. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I know of actually going back to my wife's company and for people in her particular situation and who's don't have the problem with the young children and all that sort of thing, they had been telling their management for actually a few years now we can do this from home. You know, we don't have to. And I don't know what it's like where you are, but for people who are listening, who do live, say, in the Houston area, or they live in any large city area in Texas or in California or in places where, you know, the automobile is the main mode of transportation, but it can literally from our home, as I said, you know, roughly 50 miles north of Houston, it takes over an hour in rush hour traffic to get to the office. And on, say, like a Friday afternoon when everybody's trying to get out of town, it takes well over an hour and a half, sometimes an hour and 45 minutes. And if there's bad weather, if it rains, you may be two hours getting to the office. And the drive itself is just draining, you know, the all the stop and go and the stop and go and stop and go. So they had been vying for a few years now to say, look, we can work from home and save all that, which has, has proven to be the case. But the idea fell on deaf ears until everybody was forced to have to do it. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think it's just a different way of working, isn't it? I think we're all sort of missing our colleagues and, and missing that sort of discussion that you have when you're in the workplace. So I think living in this sort of isolated world, I certainly, I wouldn't want to do it. 
long term. But I do hope that when we come out the other side of this, that we don't just go back to how we were and that we do try and hold on to some of the some of the good things and some of the benefits that we've seen from this. Absolutely. That's why we wanted to talk to you today. You came highly recommended from Mark LaCour. Your area of expertise is as a safety consultant. I should have asked you before we I wanted to get into this virtual online stuff so bad. I should have asked you more about yourself and your experience as a safety consultant. So tell us a little bit about that. Okay, yeah. Well, I'm a chemical engineer by training. So I have a chemical engineering degree. And then I've been working for 30 years now, I'm afraid to say. So I used to work for ICI, um, big chemical company in the UK. And I did a number of different roles of plant design, plant operations. And then about sort of 15 years ago, I got a job as a process safety specialist. So that was when I, I really started sort of leading these risk assessments. And then for the last 10 years, I've worked for ABB as a safety consultant. So, and I've done, yeah, sort of areas of work of, you know, included, you know, everything from chemicals to oil and gas, done a lot of work for, for some of the big oil and gas companies in the UK and overseas. Well, one couple of final things here as we wrap this up, talking about how technology and all this virtual stuff has changed the way we do things. When it comes to safety, what do you see has been the biggest and most positive change in your career? I think the type of risk assessments that I lead, although HAZOPS and process hazard reviews existed when I was a young engineer, the depth and the detail that we now go into means that we've got a far clearer understanding of what the risks are on a lot of our high hazard facilities. And that's, I'm not saying that process, unfortunately, big process safety incidents aren't going to happen anymore, but that's, that's got to be you know, a, a big positive. Do you see an improvement in attitude? Yes, I do. I think in all levels of organization as well from, you know, I think the, you know, the shop floor, the operators are much more willing to put their hands up, you know, when they feel that things aren't right and that they're not suitably protected. And they really buy into, you know, the risk assessment process and understand what we're, what we're trying to achieve there, that it's not just a tick box exercise, that they can see real change from it. You know, once, you know, the actions and recommendations are implemented all the way up through the organization. So, yeah, I think that's been a big change. Okay. So, Rachel, in all of your 30-year experience as a safety consultant, I'm sure you've seen a lot of frightening things as it relates to safety. Is there one that kind of sticks out in your mind? Yeah, I think we were doing a hazard study for a gas processing plant a few years ago, and it was a plant that had fairly recently started up but they've been having quite a few quite a few problems you know operational problems with it and one of these problems was related to an HP LP interface where there was a, a level control valve that controlled the liquid level in the separator and if that level control valve failed open too much it would allow high pressure gas into the low pressure system downstream and obviously cause a, a major process safety incident. And they were having, they'd had major problems with that level control valve from startup to the extent that the way they were running the plant was that they had an operator operating a manual valve. So physically out on the plant, 
on the radio operating a manual valve with somebody saying, open it a little bit, close it a little bit, as a way of controlling the level in this pot. So he was basically stood right next to this low-pressure piece of equipment that if he'd got it wrong, there was a trip to shut it down, but that was the only thing that would stop it, that if he got it wrong, it was clearly going to have a bad consequence to him. And I can remember as we talked through this scenario in the risk assessment, that the representative from the plant slowly went paler and paler and paler when he realised what the potential consequences were from somebody making a simple error or miscommunication. And that, I think, stands out to me as the sort of big process safety incident that we clearly identified that they hadn't thought about before. And I can remember him saying to me at the end of the day, he said, when I get back to the plant, I'm going to tear up that temporary exemption that we've got to run the plant this way, because clearly it's not the right way to do it. So, yeah, that's the kind of, you know, the most important one, I think, that I've uncovered as part of doing doing risk assessment. And so have you got one big safety tip of the day for us? Well, I think so building on that, I think even if your plant's been running for years and years and years and you've not had any major process safety incidents, it doesn't mean to say that these potential risks aren't out there. So if you can take the time to step back and do a thorough review of your plant and understand what process safety risks you've got, you might uncover these ones that you know, for one reason or another, either something's changed since the original plant design, or the goalposts have moved, or things aren't working how they were originally envisaged to work, that there are some big process safety risks out there that we are still uncovering. Well, Rachel, thank you. And we'll put your LinkedIn address in the show notes if anyone wants to contact you. We want to thank everyone again for listening and Please tune in next week for another episode of Anderson Hauser's Oil and Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Anderson Hauser is your reliable U.S.-based partner for measurement instrumentation services and solutions. We are your people for process automation. Discover more about Anderson Hauser at cx.endress.com forward slash HSE dash podcast and you can register for our monthly podcast giveaway there too you can follow us on linkedin at indris and hauser group and on twitter at indris underscore us and as always you don't have to remember all that you can simply find it in the show notes please leave us a review on itunes and tell us your friends about us see you next time Hey everybody, Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on, but we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. 
Learn more at OGGN.com.